Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And thanks to my dear friend and student, Maureen Xavier, this is another Turn the Tables show where Maureen is going to be building on the interview that she did with me recently called What is Transformation? And we're going to be focusing specifically on the implications and potential applications of transformation at the level of culture. Um, My expectation is that this uh, conversation will be a very deep conversation. We're recording it both on audio and video. The video will be uploaded shortly to my YouTube channel at David Kamnitzer, and the audio will be available soon on CuttingEdgeDoc.com. And if you access it through iTunes or Stitcher, through the name of the show, Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the rest of the show over to Maureen Xavier, and then she'll turn it back over to me at the very end, and I'll formally close out the show. So Maureen, take it away. Thank you, Dr. David. Uh, First of all, I'm wondering if there's any uh, catch-up information you'd like to do for the readers to to set the context, or not the readers, sorry, the listeners, to set the context for this interview now. There was a lot discussed about transformation in the first interview, so I invite you to establish the context for, for the space of this interview. What I would do is I would recommend that both the listeners and the viewers go back to two episodes in the past. One is called What is Transformation with Maureen Xavier, and the other one is called Enlightened Citizenship. And um, those two will give an empowering context for this conversation. I don't want to take the time we have in this conversation to go back and try to do justice to all of that. But those would be my recommendations, very strong recommendations, to definitely at least watch what is transformation. And then if you want a little bit of a background that focuses more specifically on the level of culture and society and community as it relates to authentic self-expression, I would also go back to enlightened citizenship. Are there any key points that you'd like to bring forward to start off with, though, even though you may not want to talk about the whole thing? Are there key key points? I don't know. Maybe you, if you have something in mind that you think would be particularly useful that's on your mind, go ahead. Otherwise, I'll, let's jump in. Okay. No, I was just guided to ask you if there were any key points, so I don't have any key points. Okay, so what is coming to me is the transformation is a space of possibility in which we live into, and it's a way of, pe- it's a way of being for us. 
And as we embody that more and more in our life, we are more capable of embodying and developing a culture that works. I would say that's all true. Okay. So tell me first first question, why is it so important to you that we do this interview now? Because I feel we're at a tipping point. Um, and if we can understand what's going on and we can understand the tipping point and we can get a sense of where we've been, where we are, and get a sense of some expanded possibilities, I have a strong sense that that will empower us to bring out the best in individuals and bring out the best in human culture, which I think is absolutely vital at this point in time if human beings are going to thrive in the times ahead as opposed to barely surviving or, from a physical plane point of view, not surviving at all. And so I think it's because of the timing of it. Um, You know, something happened around the early 1970s that most people were not consciously aware of, but there was something that happened around that time. You know, the human potential movement was in its heyday. Old souls from the East had come to America to anchor uh, some teachings that included ideas of multidimensionality and unity and multiple timelines and um, enlightenment and non-dualism that uh, hadn't been anchored substantially before in the Western world. And that was starting, some of those movements were starting to take off. Werner Erhardt had his huge breaking open in March, I believe, of 1971, and and felt compelled to design a structure and a process to share with other people uh, what he had discovered so that other people could recreate it for themselves. And that led to an amazing cultural phenomenon called the S-training, where in four days people were having these enormous breaking opens to more authentic self-expression that had profound implications for not only human psychology, but also for sociology and human life. And the Hunger Project was started in 1977, which was really a, a huge breaking open in awareness for people here in the United States, at least, that we were living in a unconscious context of hopelessness in relation to, and powerlessness in relation to the possibility of ending hunger and human beings being able to thrive, all human beings. And the Hunger Project was committed to taking a stand that would bring forth a possibility for a world where everyone 
could be fed and everyone could be everyone could thrive and to learn what it takes to be an individual that can uh, live as their stand and these things were going on and most people didn't know that these things were going on but these things were going on and in the combination of all of these things plus many many other things uh, from within our world and beyond our world were going on such that there was this incredible quickening uh, on every level, the molecular level, uh, consciousness, relationships, uh, technology, everything was quickening. And then in August of 1987, on August 17th, there was something called harmonic convergence, which was the beginning of approximately 25-year period that ended at the end of 2012, where due to extraplanetary influences, there was a quickening on this planet where within a 25-year period, what normally would have taken a thousand years of normal evolution to unfold was being compressed into a 25-year period. And that had an enormous impact both from a stress point of view and from an opportunity point of view for human beings. And most people didn't know that was going on either. But yet all of this was going on. And and and, and because this was going on, Earth became a galactic hotspot. Um, what was going on on Earth be, was such an, a unique experiment that it started to gather tremendous galactic interest, both from the light forces and from the dark forces. And so there's been this incredible drama going on for most people behind the scenes, because most people are not tuned in to energy. Most people are not tuned in to context. Most people don't have a accurate map or a useful map of their own history and their in the history of humanity and the history of planet Earth, um, there's been an um, unparalleled assault, at least in America, on the Western mind and on the Western body and on Western finances much more than ever before. And um, there hasn't been a safe and focused space to have a cultural conversation about that. And there hasn't been an honest conversation about what's going on, how we got here, where we are now, what's possible, and what we need to stop being and start being in order to be a new possibility for things that um, couldn't show up before. So, you know, when people, and people are frightened because at a deep level, they know that something is going on that isn't quite kosher and they don't quite know what it is. And, uh, you know, when people are frightened, many people are easy to manipulate. They look for easy answers, easy solutions, panaceas. They become very vulnerable to various forms of dictatorship, fascism, martial law, uh, having other people tell them what to do, giving their power away. And so we're really at this critical juncture. And in order to really take our power back, there's a lot of things we need to do. We need to be thinking more clearly. 
we need to open up to the reality of the connection between soul and the body. We need to open up to the ontological realm, which is the realm of being and what what is being for human being and what is the possibility of being for human being. These conversations are way, way outside the, the map. And, um, and I've lived my whole life uh, actually in training for this moment. Everything my whole life up till now has been an intense training in being what I need to be so that I can accomplish my mission in this life, which has a lot to do with connecting with and being a living bridge and anchoring this new possibility of being and living for human beings. Uh, Focused at least in this time-space coordinate, it's playing out on this stage called the surface of planet Earth. It has implications way beyond the surface of planet Earth. And uh, I think you are a very good person to be interviewing me because of your passion and commitment to your own transformative process. Uh, I think you'll be able to listen to what I'm saying and you'll be able to be with what I'm saying and ask me questions you'll be able to be a good bridge builder between where many of the people who are going to be listening to this and watching this, where their state of consciousness is and where my state of consciousness is. And I think you'll be, you'll be very helpful in building a bridge so that uh, the possibility that I am and that my teachings are Mm. can be um, titrated, if you will in a way that makes them more uh, digestible, more confrontable, more relatable to, and yet will be able to maintain the integrity and the power of what it is that I'm standing for. Thank you very much. A couple of big things that popped out to me in that summary of what you talked about Um, were that I'd say the average person today isn't aware of is the connection of the soul and the, and this mission of the soul and what it may have been prior timelines of the soul and the body is how people today are showing up really physically uncomfortable. And to the extent that their soul's journey could be contributing to that, they might not know about and as well as how important it is for us to take our power back. I didn't even realize I didn't have power um, to the extent that I really do until starting to work with you. Until you have a sense of who you are and until you have a sense of your rights, mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult to access your power in any kind of full way because the map that you were given, so to speak, of what is a human being and what is the possibility for human beings and the story you were told is just so not true. You know, the whole story about survival of the fittest and the theory of evolution, 
and that you were, you know, and that you were born in sin and just all the stories that you took as reality and then lived inside those stories make it, it's very much by design. You know, it's not accidental that these stories are the prevailing stories. There are beings that don't want you to take your power back. There are beings that only are able to exist on this planet because you're not taking your power back. See, that to me is still outside of my... Like box. I know you've talked about that, and that's still not present for me in my reality. Okay, that's fine. Would it be a good, do you sense that it would be a good time to go there with that? Is like, who are those beings? What are they all about? No, I think it's probably premature. Okay. You know, if, it, if it's that big a stretch for you, it's probably premature in the conversation. Okay. For sure. I mean, there's no point in. You know, I don't want people leaving this conversation going, oh, man, Dr. David knows a lot of shit. Okay. That's, not the, that's not what this conversation's about. This conversation's not about entertainment. It's not about giving information for information's sake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, sound, it feels like an inappropriate gradient. Got it. So next question is, what... Are some of the what are a few of the big like big giant challenges that are inherent in a society that is not living from a transformed space? Okay, so that is a huge question because the the short answer is just about everything. <laughs> but that's not that useful an answer. No, that's not helpful at all. That's a very. It's kind of like the top three biggest challenges that we face today. It's a very honest answer, though, in the sense that it points to the ubiquitous nature of the challenges that arise when you combine an ego-based state of consciousness with the challenges that human beings on planet Earth are facing today. The implications of that combo are ubiquitous. They affect everything. Yes. Even more than you can think. I mean, it it affects who you are that you are. Yeah, which is the fiber of who we are, which is everything. So it affects everything because it affects perception. Yes. So it affects everything. Um, But in terms of, but that's not that useful an answer. So, but I did want to say that because that's part of a useful answer. So the dysfunctionality of the limitation of the ego-based logic system that's based on separation, that's based on scarcity, uh, that's based on um, a win-lose worldview that justifies the use of force, Um, that worldview only gets you so far and before it starts to implode on itself. And 
that's what has happened. We've lived inside that worldview, and we have the world we have. It it got us to this point. And there are useful things about this point, and then there are things about this point that unless we see them as a stepping stone to a greater possibility, will just become more and more dysfunctional. So, for example, the fact that you and I are able to have this conversation right now is a testament to what ego-based consciousness has allowed us to accomplish. Mm -hmm. You and I are having a conversation on Zoom And I'm here in my house, and you're here in your house, and the person that's watching this or listening to this is over wherever they are, and it's probably a different time than we're doing this. So we're already starting to compress space and time in some powerful ways. Now, or for example, um, if you break your arm, it's nice to be able to go to an emergency room and have your arm set and have some painkillers so that you're not uh, jumping off the wall. So ego-based consciousness has got us to there. But the problem is, is when that way of looking at yourself and looking at life, which is based on this Newtonian, Darwinian, Cartesian worldview, when it's accepted as the way it is, as opposed to one way of looking at the world that has strengths and weaknesses, at that point, it starts to become what I call evil. And what I mean by evil is anything that isn't honoring life and allowing life to continue to unfold in greater and greater possibility. So, basically, we're a group of people that have confused one way of being and looking at the world for the way the world really is and the way we really are. And what's happened is our technological development has gotten so far ahead of our spiritual development that it's like giving a kid a, a box of dynamite. You know, theoretically, that dynamite could be used for useful purposes if there was enough wisdom to go along with the dynamite. But we're like a species that's been given sticks of dynamite with very little wisdom to know how to use the dynamite. And so can you give a practical example here? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that we're a little bit too out here. For some people, and I'd like to get in here. Can you give me like a real world example of what okay. it's like for okay, a kid so, to have the dynamite? Okay, so we've been given the internet, right? Mm-hmm. But some people are using the internet to play games eight hours a day and avoid their whole life. And how does living in a transformed space prompt someone to do that? Or why does living in an untransformed space prompt that behavior to occur? Because in an ego-based state of consciousness, much of what is reality with a capital R 
is perceived as a threat or a danger. And people will want to avoid it. People will want to fight against it. People will want to escape from it. People will want to dominate it, etc. Um, so in every in every area of life right now that you can think of, every institution, every important area of life, the the dark forces slash ego-based consciousness has corrupted, distorted the possible authentic self-expression into that institution or into that area of life, whether it's education, religion, healthcare, politics, economics, uh, you name it. You name it, and everything has a twist to it. Everything is distorted to line up with the worldview of ego-based consciousness. And the ego-based consciousness worldview slash the view of the dark forces I make that distinction because most people that are stuck in ego-based consciousness are well-meaning people that simply are spiritually ignorant. But there is a small group of beings that are consciously choosing to look out for their own survival no matter what the consequences. We would call them psychopaths, sociopaths. These are beings who have lost... 98% of their connection to love and to life because they're the only thing they love is the me that they are that they are. Mm -hmm. And the me that they are that they are is so small compared to who they really are. Mm -hmm. So I, I, even though there's a distinction between people that are spiritually ignorant and people that are consciously serving the dark, There's a useful distinction there, but in a bigger picture, they're the same because even the ones that are consciously serving the dark have a level of spiritual ignorance, but it's not the same. It's not the same. The the karmic consequences are not the same, but they have a similarity also. And so everything's been twisted. Doctors don't promote health. The judicial system doesn't promote justice. The educational system is used for indoctrination. Uh, The two-party system is a cover-up for the fact that their their strings are both being pulled by the same team. Uh, uh, The... The family system is being attacked from all sides. Your physical body is being attacked from all sides, GMOs, chemtrails, uh, EMFs, uh, you name it. The, uh, our, our banking system is based on uh, a total Ponzi scheme. And unless you understand that that is what is happening, 
and that it's happened because we've been unconsciously uh, buying into that program. It takes a lot. It takes a really big person to be willing to confront the way we've been thrown to be, to confront the way we wound up being without either going into a mood of resignation or cynicism or wanting to go to war and or just freeze and hide in your room. It takes a big person. And so many people who start out on the spiritual path and then they get to a certain level of depth in their process and then they start to come up against what Jung would call the collective unconscious, start to come up against these thought forms that have a collective quality to them and these forces that have a collective quality. Unless you've done a lot of work in advance to confront your own shadow, the possibility of confronting the collective shadow is way, way too overwhelming. It's way, way too high a gradient. It's impossible. And so what happens is you get people who, on one hand, recognize that they're not ready to confront uh, transformation or authentic self-expression at the level of culture and community. And so they play smaller. They play a smaller game. And then you have people who feel moved to take social action, but they haven't done the inner work on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so their social action is really a projection and a compensation for things that they really need to resolve at the individual level. Mm -hmm. And so there's this hopelessness from within that, what I call the vicious circle, from within that ego-based consciousness, it is absolutely hopeless. And it's very scary for people who are in ego-based consciousness to confront the utter hopelessness of the power of ego-based consciousness to handle the challenges and the possibilities for human beings today. And it takes a tremendous amount of faith and consciousness to be primarily still being used by ego-based consciousness and still have a sense of another possibility and to step outside your comfort zone and to explore this other possibility that you can't even define very well yet. And it's very challenging. And, you know, human beings are social creatures. And so, especially if you don't know anybody that's going through this, um, and you don't have a guide who really knows his or her stuff, where there's a teaching that's valid, is maybe one in 10,000 people can do it. And so on top of that, we talked earlier about the fact you have a lot of scared people looking for quick answers. You know, you're going to get a lot of false teachers popping up. You're going to get a lot of false teachings popping up. And those false teachings 
can be worse than no teachings at all. You know, I, I've seen thousands of people just sort of spit out and really damaged by all sorts of false teachings, whether it be from the New Age movement, from religious movements, from, you know, Eastern teachings, Western teachings. You know, it's, uh, it's sad. It's sad to see what is happening. And, uh, you know, I, my whole life has been about learning what I need to learn and being what I need to be. Uh, and sharing what I need to share to provide a, another possibility for being, for human beings that's outside that vicious circle that's correlated with ego-based consciousness. Thank you. That was a lot of really amazing information. That was a lot of juicy stuff to be listened to over and over again to take in at a deeper and deeper level. And if there's anything in particular, you know, because I see you kind of like that bridge builder for the listeners and the viewers, if, you know, I encourage you to be really transparent with your own process. Like if there's something I'm saying, something you're hearing that's really impacting you in a powerful way, um, if you're moved to share any of that in a personal way, you know, not in a conceptual way, but as a person, as you, Maureen, uh, not that you have to or you should, but if anything comes and you really are engaged in the conversation and something's really hitting you, I would encourage you to just share about what what's going on. Well, as you're just talking about what um, what people run into along the way, um, I know I've taken a pretty big stand. Um, in the space of wanting to, to, uh, I, I am being the stand of having a, to assisting the recovery movement from a space of transformation. And I never could be here from the space that I am without really being at your knee every single week, learning from you, learning from your teachings, going through a period of time where I wanted to kill myself because I had one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. And now I've kind of broken through living in the space of possibility and seeing things from an entirely different space than I saw before. And people that are really close to me in my life are like looking at me and telling me I'm crazy <laughs> because I just see things from an entirely different perspective. And, you know, I remember the day I consciously made the decision to die to the ego, to die to the me that I thought I was. It's like, a, it's, it's like literally, I can still picture it. It's like the door closes. And the way you start looking at things, first of all, is really confusing and crazy. I mean, and looks totally different. And I went through a period of time where like, literally I would like look at stuff that I knew how to do before and I no longer had to knew how to do it. So it's only been my willingness to have faith in the teachings and my willingness to turn it over because I was done with the pain. It was just like, it had to take a decision, it had to take a period of not being done in the pain and being more committed to the pain than to not living in the pain and then an ability and a, and a willingness to live in the confusion 
and to take a stand for no more am I going to choose the pain over life. And then in the space of that, you run up into all the challenges of being the weirdo in the room. You know, now I'm the weirdo in the room. So that's a whole new set of interesting challenges. Well, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a wisdom that goes along with this expanded awareness. And that is that, uh, you know, there's this line in the Bible where, you know, the disciples are basically saying to Jesus, hey, you know, this is really cool stuff that we're learning here. Um, should we tell people? And he basically says, well, you know, let the spirit move you. Um, and uh, don't cast pearls before swine. In other words, um, don't be so full of yourself mm-hmm. that you're not paying attention to the listening of the listener, mm-hmm. and you're not paying attention to the what would be an appropriate gradient. Mm-hmm. You know, like the question you asked me at the beginning of the session, you know, did I want to go there? I had to tune into whether that was an appropriate gradient. Mm-hmm. for this conversation and for what I'm wanting to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it's a well-known phenomena that when people first are really on fire with transformation, that they can be so mm-hmm. full of their own fire mm-hmm. that you don't see clearly because it's so bright, mm-hmm. like looking into the sun. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you know, you learn what works and you learn what doesn't work. So unless you're into martyring yourself for being super lonely uh, and broke, (laughs) you develop, you develop the ability to um, be more discerning and to not use your knowledge as a weapon, but to, um, but to meet people where they are and ask the kind of questions that, are low gradient questions that you can build on because if you blow people out of the water, you may not get them back. But if you go slow, usually you can speed up a lot faster than you can put a word back in your mouth. And most people have to burn a few bridges before they learn that lesson. But uh, there's no reason you can't learn it through wisdom but most people learn it through some pain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is an odd, and, and then one of the things, this is, this is a never ending journey. It's not, it's not just because I'm looking at life from a different side that I'm not going through literally the same thing every day that I was going through before. I'm just a space of possibility now that knows that, that knows like it's in the fiber of my being that I'm not a particular circumstance, I'm not a particular experience, and that I'm on purpose and I'm on path, and that none none of these, I mean, that's, I think, the inherent difference between the me that I was five years ago with a passion and commitment to serve the world and the me that I am today is before I was constantly getting thrown off path, thrown off path, thrown off path. Now... It's like nothing is going to throw me off path. No individual anything because I just know that I'm in alignment with what I'm here to do. And it's never, it's never ending. It's literally like follow the excitement. What's the excitement? What's for me here today? And then 
And then ego shows up and shows me what there is to heal at a deeper and deeper level. But, you know, I think one piece of the puzzle is that given the space you're at now, where you are in touch with your infinite nature and the infinite nature of life, now you can really open up to the mystery of being human, which is the application of infinity to an apparent finite world. Mm-hmm. And that that requires wisdom and it requires a lot of skill sets. And I think a big thing that's not talked about, because so much of enlightenment, so much of the enlightenment conversation comes out of the Eastern traditions of enlightenment, which are about ego deconstruction. But from my experience of transformation and self-realization, that's only half the story. Mm -hmm. I call it the front of the hand of transformation. My teacher also called it the same thing. My teacher, Werner Erhardt, also called it the front of the hand of transformation, which is the divestiture of your constructed way of being your constructed identity, your constructed view of the world. And we know how to facilitate that now. And that's exciting because because 50 years ago we didn't. And now we do. You know, if somebody spends 12 to 24 hours with me, We know how to do that. We know if you're willing, we know how to do that now. So let's go there. Talk to me about those skill sets. Well, that's really not what this conversation is about. This conversation isn't really about the back of the hand, the front of the hand of transformation. Uh, There have been a lot of other conversations about what's involved in deconstructing ego-based consciousness to get back to the nothingness that you are. I don't want to rehash that here. Okay, maybe I didn't. A lot of conversations about about that. What, What is more interesting to me is, okay, let's say someone has reached a critical mass, like where you are. Let's say somebody has reached a critical mass of ego deconstruction Mm -hmm. to the point where you have this absolute knowingness beyond changes in circumstances and experiences of your infinite nature and your, your connection to the infinite love that you are. The, the question I want to focus on in this conversation is now what Now, that was not focused on very much in the Eastern traditions, or at least in the way the Eastern traditions that were packaged and brought over to the West. And it's understandable to me because that was a gap. That was a gap in in, in Western understanding. And it's great that that gap got filled to some powerful extent. But in my experience, there's been very little powerful conversation about 
the now what question. And so I think I have something powerful to say about that. And some of it I've already said, which I'll review a little bit, is that there's this, what happens is if you have the ability and the faith and the consciousness to hang out as that nothingness, as that pure awareness, as that pure presence, what happens is you start to become aware of this rhythm of life, this natural motion that you, quote unquote, are a part of. And this motion is everything that we consider to be human life. The, the flow of thoughts, the flow of emotions, the, uh, the, the flow of body sensations, the ideas we have, the way our body moves, the way the sun moves, the way the moon moves, the way the earth moves. Uh, everything that we think of as making up human life is dynamic, uh, is always changing. And yet, uh, and yet, if you look at this metaphor of the wheel, if you think about human life being perceived primarily from the point of view of the outer rim of outer edge of the wheel that's constantly moving, that wouldn't be possible if there wasn't a point in the middle that was completely still that was allowing for the motion. And so what happens is, is that if you have the commitment and the ability to hang out in that zero point space, that center of the wheel, so to speak, what will happen is eventually something will move you. You'll have an inspired idea. Uh, somebody will call you on the phone with an amazing opportunity. Uh, something will happen. There'll be some natural movement and motion. And if you learn to sense that and follow that and ride that wave, even though existentially every human being is going to have unique experiences, what we've identified is there's certain structural uh, uh, stages of that journey that have a very high probability of being the way that I'm going to describe it. And so it can be useful if part of the answer to the now what question is a predictable sequence of, of, of domains and structures, it can be very useful to identify them. And to look at what is required to be effective and have a high quality of life in relation to those structures and domains. And that's what I want to get into. So what we've observed, those of us that have been committed to living transformation now for close to 40 years, what we've observed is that the first thing that happens is that you confront the way that ego-based consciousness is showing up in your own self as an individual person, your own belief systems, your own thought patterns, your own habits, your own ways of speaking, your own ways of listening, your own value system. And what happens is, is that ideally you're showing up in relation to those things in such a way that those things start healing and those things start getting handled. Not that you become a perfect human being, but you get to the point where you're, as an individual, you're, you're in pretty good shape. 
you know, and much better shape. You're, you're functioning with a much higher level of clarity and alacrity and awareness than most people. And as an individual, things start working pretty well. And then what starts happening is you start to notice how ego-based consciousness is showing up at the level of your one-to-one relationships. And you start noticing that even though you're in pretty good shape, a lot of your individual relationships are not wholly satisfying for you. And if you're willing to be honest about that and be non-judgmental about it, that gets you into a whole new area of inquiry where you start studying what it takes to master yourself at the level of relationships. And that requires a whole new expansion of being, a whole new set of distinctions, and a whole new set of skills. And then what we've observed is if you're willing to take that one on and you're willing to get good at that, then predictably the next thing that happens is people start noticing the ego-based dysfunctionality within the level of groups and organizations that they're a part of. And for many people, that is overwhelming. Many people decide at that point that they're going to take their marbles and go home. And what they do is they quit their corporate job. They try to become self-employed, whatever, whatever they, 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 they retreat a little bit because it's overwhelming. And, um, and then maybe they, uh, maybe especially if there are relationships or in good shape, they connect with some other people and then they attempt to create a parallel organization or a parallel group that's based on being committed to transformation. And that there's more possibility of that working. However, there's a whole new set of skills that's required to master authentic self-expression at the level of group and organization that um, is a whole other level of commitment. And there's hardly any intelligent conversation about that. And then here's the kicker. The kicker is, is that even most of the people, even though it's a very small percentage of people that are willing and able to take that on, that are willing to take on transformation at the level of organization, when you really, really get down to it, and this is what I really want to talk about, is if you get that far, which is rare, like rare, 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 if you get that far, guess what you discover? That that organization is swimming in a cultural water of enormous, 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 ubiquitous, ego-based dysfunction at the level of culture, at the level of society. And at that point, people either kill themselves or go into a mood of resignation or go into a warlike mode. And none of those work very well. And there's this other possibility that I'm not claiming I'm an expert in yet, but it's what I know the rest of my life is probably going to be about, is I'm living inside the question, what do I need to be as a being 
in order to bring forth a culture that honors life and the living, a culture that's friendly to transformation, a culture that has space for the truth to be told. And I don't have the answers for that. And I'm living inside that question. And that living inside that question is creating an amazing context for my life and has set in motion an amazing process of profound learning and inquiry and detoxification and letting go more and more of ego-based consciousness and learning more skills and connecting with new people and asking new questions. And I don't want to be the only one going through that. I don't want to be the only one having those questions. I don't want to be the only person having those conversations. I want powerful, loving, mature, committed people to play with. And hopefully that can be on this planet. And I'm committed to becoming what I need to become so that I'm living in a culture that not only tolerates transformation, but fosters transformation. And I want to live in a world where transformation is well understood and has incredibly high value. Are you complete with that sharing? Yes. So what, what has that been like for you? What's come up for you in the space of living in that question? That would take probably four days. Okay. That question. <laughs> I mean, you have a knack for asking these questions that are like more than a meal. Okay. All right. Um, well, I guess uh, I live in big questions. <laughs> uh, but again, so, I want to I draw your attention to the whole gradient issue. All right. When you're interacting with people to make sure you really are not unwittingly blowing people away. Okay. Because that one blew me away and I have a pretty high confront level. Okay. And that one blew me away. So okay. again, again, just because you have that question doesn't mean it's the most useful question to ask. Okay. Point taken. Yeah. Point to go come and be within myself. So Hearing that you want, you've taken a stand for transformation at the cultural level and you want people to play with and you've seen what you've seen and you've been along this path dedicating the last 40 some years to it. Yes. What are the new structures? What, so, so what are the new structures that you see as necessary to support a society that works in a culture that's living at the level of transformation? Well, for one thing, if we're going to stay in our physical bodies, which I think is part of the opportunity, which is to be a living bridge between soul and matter, I think that's part of the possibility that the man we call Jesus 
was anchoring onto the planet. So to me, it'd be kind of stupid to go through all the trouble of incarnating into a physical body and dealing with all of the stuff that goes along with that, both personally and collectively, if the whole point of it was not to stay in our body. So if we want to stay in our bodies, and you're really asking that question honestly, you can't help but notice that it might be useful to have a healthcare system that works. <laughs> so, so, so if we want to stay in our bodies, we need to get real about what health is and what a human being who's in a physical body requires for high-level wellness. So if we don't get past that one, in terms of the game of staying in a physical body and playing this game, there may be no other area to even deal with because we won't have a body to blend with our soul to play this game. So I don't think most people realize the incredible dangerous level of human health right now. I mean, even just in the 30 years that I've been a doctor, it's been mind-boggling, just mind-boggling, the, 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 um, the reduction in level of health of Americans. When I started in practice as a young doctor in 1987 at age 20, 31, it was almost unheard of to hear about a type 2 diabetic that was under 25 or 30 years of age. Maybe 1 in 10,000, maybe. Now it's common. 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 Do you know how expensive it is to society? Just in monetary terms. Do you know how expensive it is, the expected cost of caring for a type 2 diabetic given the current prevailing western medical model it's going to bankrupt america autism rates do you know the devastating impact on an individual and on a family that's dealing with autism autism rates were very very rare when i was a child very rare now, for boys born in the United States, the expert figures say, honestly, now, it's 1 in 25. 1 in 25. Cancer rates. Cardiovascular issues. Iatrogenic disease. Death, death caused by uh, the application of the current Western medical model. So you're in denial if you're honestly looking at the question you asked and not having your first answer be, we need a healthcare system that's based on truth and love that works. If we don't get past that, we won't have a game to play. We just won't. 
if, if your body is all screwed up, you can't even think straight. Your emotional tone is going to be really low. I mean, it, until we acknowledge this incredible given of human life, which is the integration of soul and matter, until we acknowledge that that's a fundamental existential given of being human, and we get past this mind-body split, this spirit-matter split that Western thinking is based on, we really can't go any further. And the assault on the human body, at least in the United States now, is unparalleled in modern history. Topsoil that has been raped, seeds that have been genetically hijacked, chemtrails, heavy metal toxicity, smart meters, on and on. Oh, fluoride in the water that screws up your pineal gland, over-medication of pharmaceuticals, pesticides up the wazoo, genetically modified food, Vaccine, vaccinating your children, 36 vaccines in the first year of life. It's total insanity. It's totally based on a culture of death. It's totally, it's totally a dark side agenda. Totally, totally, absolutely, 100%. And now in California, if you don't want that, you have to either find a brave medical doctor or osteopath that will sign a medical exemption for your child, or you have to homeschool your kid. How many people can afford to stay home and homeschool their kids? Or you risk going to jail, or worse than that, you risk uh, Child Protective Services taking away your kid, and it happens. And it's happening. You know, so like, until we get past this thing about who owns your body, until we get past this thing about does the state control what goes into your child's body or do you as a parent? If we don't get past that, we're, we're not going to have much else to talk about. And I'm not saying this is pretty. I'm just saying that when you take an honest look at it, this is one of the first things you see. And if we can get past that, we, we could get into other conversations about education and sexuality and economy, economics, and we could get in, we, we could, you know, uh, spirituality, we could get into all sorts of other conversations. But the fact that something so obvious, once you see it, like healthcare, the fact that this isn't being talked about more than it is, when you factor in the maternal instinct of a mother and wanting to care for her child, and you think about the amount of brainwashing that must be going on so that that mother isn't talking about that with all of the other mothers that she's hanging out with, because either her brain is so scrambled or she's afraid of being labeled a weirdo, when you look at that, you start to get a sense of the dysfunctionality of the water that we're swimming in. 
And if you want to master something, you have to become aware of it. And if you want to become aware of it, you better be able to talk about it. There's another thing. Politically, our First Amendment rights are being shattered more day by day. You know, if you don't have the right to, to speak about what you want to speak about, that's just a half step and jump away from, from basically censoring your own patterns of thinking. So there's fundamental things like the right to free speech, the right to free assembly, the right to, uh, to, to, to be the benefit of the fruit, to have the benefits of the fruit of your own labor. There are certain fundamental rights that if you don't know what they are, you cannot claim them. You cannot stand for them. And we live in a very dangerous situation where you have a society of people that have been educated by the state, but they really haven't been educated. They've really been indoctrinated into the dark force agenda. And part of the dark force agenda is to make sure people don't take their power back. And one way to do that is to make sure people don't know their rights. They don't know who they are. They don't know their true history. They don't know the Constitution. They don't know the Bill of Rights. They don't understand the context in which that all came to be. And so if you have people that are that ignorant and that drugged and that brainwashed, you have a situation that's very ripe for all forms of dictatorship, all forms of fascism, all forms of mind control. And that's what we've got. And that goes back to what I said earlier that you said you didn't have a reality on, is that the only reason this is going on is because good people are not taking their power back. You think about it. Let's say for the sake of the discussion, let's say in terms of committed dark force workers that will, that will take that position to their death, Let's say that there's a 1,000 or 2,000 or maybe 3,000 of those on the planet right now. How can you control 8 billion people? How can two or 3,000 people control 8 billion people? The only way, the only way you can do it is to, get, is to get the 8 billion people to give their power away. If they took their power back, I mean, what if no one followed their orders? There's a good example. What I mean, I mean, the dark force ones at the top, they don't want to get their hands dirty. What if no one followed their orders? They wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, look at what Gandhi did to have Indian people take their power back. What happened? They went on, they went on assault strike. They stop following orders. I mean, how can a small group of people control an enormously large group of people? Well, now I'm seeing into what you've been pointing me at forever, which I've never looked at the question is, okay, how do 
a group of a thousand or two thousand people really control. They control their media, they control their politics, they control their food, they control their what they're filling their mind with. I mean, this is what you've been telling me about for however long I've known you, and I haven't even been in a space to look, ask that question, look at it. So the question is, here's the $64,000 question. What are you and other people being such that something that is so obvious once you see it is so off the map until you see it? See, that's a powerful question because that gets to, that gets to how their control of you shows up for you, human beings. You know, well, I was never even in the space to be having this conversation with you. Right, so but, 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 but what keeps yeah. it from being, what, why is that? What, what, why is it not, what, why, if the maternal instinct is so strong and mothers can sense things about their children and the maternal instinct is very intuitive, how is it that the bad guys have created a context for us to live in culturally such that women are in denial about their strong maternal instincts about what's best for their children. Because it's not even on the map when you're living in the box, whatever box it is. I mean, I can't speak for society as a whole. I can only speak for me as a human being, but for me, Life for me was about avoiding the domination of being bad and wrong because I did have a lifetime where I was a committed to the dark and I chose a family. And then this time I said, okay, it's time for me to heal this time. So I chose a family where I was emotionally and physically abused as a child. And I've spent my whole life waking up from that. So when you live your whole life avoiding the domination of being bad or wrong, these kinds of conversations aren't even available. That's true. And so you're, you're pointing to something very powerful, that one of the ways that the dark forces work is to get a hold of the children early and to traumatize them directly or indirectly, either directly or indirectly through traumatized parents that have children. And so, that's one answer to the question, but there are hundreds of other answers to that question. And um, so, so this conversation now is really getting down to it. This conversation is really getting down to what I'm all about, which is creating the space to have this conversation, be powerful, and then to be honest about where this inquiry takes us individually and collectively. What do we need to stop being in order to win this new game that I'm playing? What do we need to start being? What abilities do we need to develop and get better at? What compassion do we need to bring forth? What courage do we need to bring forth? What creativity do we need to bring forth? What new structures for organization do we need to bring forth? What new ways of, 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 of coming up with and honoring the collective will so that we get real-time feedback about what people are really wanting? And, and how, do we, 
how do we develop a, a system of action that's not ego-based but is fluid-based where at one moment I'm serving you because you're better at something than I am. The next moment you're serving me and our sense of identity isn't based on anything that's ego-based. What, what do we need to be or stop being or what skills do we need to develop? What structures do we need to develop? What commitments do we need to make? What conversations do we need to have? What technologies do we need to develop in order to bring this forth? But you see, it's taken me 42 years to to get to the point where I can be with the is of all of this instead of being with my initial emotional reaction to all of it. And I, I would be very disheartened if I believed that the people I want to empower, that it would take them 42 more years. I, I, would be, I would be very disheartened because I don't believe in terms of the game of staying in a body on this planet, I don't believe we have another 42 years of ego-based consciousness to play with. But fortunately, I believe that we've gotten better at learning about what it takes, plus the frequencies that are on the planet now and the frequencies that are that are in our bodies and in our solar system are such that time is compressed to the point where I'm meeting people now that are in their twenties who are so far beyond where I was when I was in my twenties. that it's not even a conversation. So, you know, part of what I'm doing is partnering with those younger people because I think there's intergenerational synergy that's possible. I think I learned something from them. They learned something from me, but you know, I'm all about healing the healers. I'm all about teaching the teachers. I'm not, I'm not your reader's digest kind of guy. I'm your more behind the scenes kind of guy that likes to empower the people that, like to deal more directly with the masses. And so I understand that about myself and I accept that. And so I really appreciate more than, you know, probably I really appreciate you. And because there are people that will relate to you that would never relate to me. And if this conversation can empower a significant group of people to join me and become what we need to become to bring forth a world where there's authentic self-expression at the level of culture while being physical in a physical body. To me, that's a game worth playing. The me that I'm going to become playing that game and the impact I'm going to have is a path with heart. It's a game worth playing to me. It lights me up. It may not light other people up yet, but that's okay. That's okay. Because just having this conversation and putting these ideas into our world has power. One thing I think would be very valuable at this point, if you're willing, 
is to really dig deep and share what's really going occurring for you as not the interviewer, but what's occurring for you as the person, Maureen, being here in this conversation for the past whatever. What's really present for you? What are you beginning to suspect? What's beginning to dawn on you? What's becoming more obvious to you? So there's a lot going on. I mean... um, To share a few things. So, you know, I've been holding space for the interview. So I've been holding space for a lot of different yeah. texts, right? I've been holding the space as the interviewer, trying to keep the intention for the interview. Yes. And well, this is like what it's like to, I mean, oh, I mean, whereas what's coming to me is what I'm saying is basically this is what happens when you take a stand for being a space of possibility at the cultural level, right? You hold the space for the intention of the project. So that's what I've been doing. I've been holding the space for the intention of the project and seeing what I thought would want to happen in that space. At the same time, I've been seeing what you've been talking about and what's been triggering questions in me, and I've been writing those questions down, and then I've been observing of... That's what I'm interested in. What's occurring for you as Maureen the person? Right, this magnet is shame that I didn't know, that I didn't know before when I asked you a question that was a really big question. It's kind of like, yeah, what's coming up in me again is, oh, here I am again, asking the wrong question. So that's part of what's occurring for me right now is there's that little girl in me showing up like had a really was really curious about some big question and it wasn't the right time to ask the question because nobody seems to get what I'm all about so So how about saying instead of it wasn't the right question how about saying maybe it wasn't the most useful question let's try that say that Okay, so right in this moment, <laughs> I'm feeling like uh, you're coaching me about sharing my experience, and I'm allowing my experience to show up. So this is just a stopping point for I'm allowing my experience, and I'm sharing my experience with you, and I'm going to let that be here, and I'm going to let that be truthful. <sighs> And I'm not going to go into any of the stories about here we go again. So now that I express my shame, I am just, I've gotten that up. Okay. So what happens to me in the space of this interview is I had an experience and I had, I made a decision about that. That experience triggered something in me that was similar to an experience I had it as a child that I made up a story about. And then luckily I was able to have the space for that story and that experience and knowing that that was a story and I didn't go there, but I had the emotion and 
and it doesn't mean anything because I was still able to be holding that at the same time I was holding the space for the interview. So there was just a lot going on here. So like right here, right now, just because I expressed, you invited me to express what was going on for me and I expressed it. And then you wanted to coach me about that. And I didn't feel like I needed to be coached about that. I'm here. I'm now I'm fine. That emotion's gone. That thought is gone. I took my power back. (laughs) So that's what, that's what I feel like happened. And there's a part of me that heard your question and didn't take that question in. So now I'm choosing to take that question in. Yeah, that question wasn't gradient appropriate for this interview. And I got that. And I got that as it was happening. And I saw a bunch of, I know I got that as it was happening. But that didn't mean that there was, it didn't trigger my childhood stuff. So I was just, luckily, I feel like luckily I could, I'm at the point in my life where I can hold the space of multiple different intentions without having any one of those things use me. But it was still there. Beautiful. And so one of the things that happens out of that space that you're in is you have the opportunity to explore other possibilities. <clears throat> and so my comment was in that spirit. Okay. With exploring another possibility of how to language, languaging a new possibility instead of languaging, oh, I, I, I asked the wrong question. Yeah, yeah. I was offering another possibility. Right. Is it oh. wasn't a question that was a pro- it wasn't the best question in given the context of this interview. Yes. It was then, too big of a gradient yeah, and I get that. Yeah. And so that can see that can that can give rise to another question like like oh what might have been some questions that might have been more useful or might have worked better. So my point is that this whole second this whole back of the hand of transformation, that there's a whole lot of skill sets involved Mm -hmm. and inquiry and asking questions and exploring possibilities. These are all skill sets that we didn't learn in school. Mm -hmm. And what I'm excited about is that after over 40 years of committedly living and studying transformation, we have a much better handle, at least on the territory. And what are the, what are valuable questions to ask? And I'm really excited about the possibility of what these what this kind of conversation can do to open up more conversations that would have been highly unlikely to happen without this conversation and if we can get a critical mass of high quality powerful conversations going on about transformation at the level of culture that don't devolve back into right wrong conversations mm-hmm. 
and don't devolve back into the vicious circle. I know enough about the way transformation works and I know enough about the way life works to know that that's going to set in motion a whole new process. It's going to give rise to a whole new set of ideas, a whole new set of inspirations, a whole new set of structures, systems, inventions, serendipitous events, actions that can substantiate the vision that I'm sharing with you. Well, all yeah, and what this this whole experience, this whole conversation as one big piece of it highlights the importance of what you've talked to me about is so important is gradient. <laughs> and you know, the appropriate the importance of gradient and meeting people where they are. You can have everything else just right. If yes. You could have the, the like Let's say there are 200 different elements to make something work, and one of them is appropriate gradient. You could have 199 down perfectly, and the whole thing could not work because of inappropriate gradient, because you're not either committed to appropriate gradient, or you're not able to perceive it, or you don't have the conversational and behavioral and energetic flexibility to bring forth the appropriate gradient. Mm -hmm. If you can stay on purpose and you can have an appropriate gradient Mm -hmm. and you're willing and able to acknowledge what is, that is an enormously powerful foundation Mm -hmm. for a transformational servant leader. I'm going to say that again. If you can stay on purpose and create a space for other people to stay on purpose, and you can master gradient, and you can acknowledge what is without judgment, and see acknowledging what is as a contribution, no matter how ugly it is. That creates an enormously powerful foundation for transformation at any level. So I hear that as like on the top of the food chain, as to importance of effective transformational leadership. Are there any other top of the food chain um, skill sets? It's interesting. I see it. My vision of it is the opposite. I I see it as a foundation for a building. Okay. Sorry. So I guess my, don't be, don't be sorry. I just, you're not seeing it incorrectly. I'm not implying that your way of looking at it may, reveal other things that I haven't seen. Mm. I'm just saying I, I didn't look at it the way you looked at it. I, I see it more as a foundational uh, uh, something that then you can build a nice, beautiful building with. Well, and that's interesting for me to actually go back and look at seeing that how I perceive things in one way and then how they come out my mouth doesn't work out or doesn't communicate what, what I'm in. It's like... No, it's not, I don't mean to say that. I think this is something that's coming up in me and my relationships with people that's very, like, it's in my face. Is like, so I have, a, I perceive something in a way, and it doesn't, come, it doesn't come out that way. Yeah, you represent an idea with a certain image or picture, and then you, then you describe it, but that may not be the way that person represented it. And or so that may not even be 
what I'm perceiving and my intention is not what comes out of me. So I, and this is something I don't know that I don't know yet. So that's what's showing up in the space of this. Cause I agree that gradient is foundation yet. It came out for me as top of the food chain, which means it's up of here. So that's just information for me. But it's not wrong is what I'm saying. In other words, there's validity in looking at that the way you're looking at it. It's just that that's not the way I was looking at it. So if you assume I was looking at it that way, that can create a break in affinity between us, a break in understanding. It can lead to communication issues. And so there's the essential idea and then there's the way, then there's all the different ways that idea can be represented. And if you confuse your representation for the essential idea, you're going to get in trouble. So part of higher levels of consciousness is being able to directly interact with essential, the essence of, of essential ideas. And then to have the flexibility to represent those ideas in many, many different ways. So, and then you apologize as if you had made a mistake. And, you know, that's very telling mm-hmm. of what you were being. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's one right way to represent it. Mm-hmm. See, that's what you're being. You're being that there is one right, right way to represent it. Yeah. But there isn't. A representation is a representation. It's a representation of of, an, of something that's deeper, in more essential. And as you grow more in your self-realization, you start living more at that essential level, and then representations become tools in your toolkit. And you don't your ego doesn't become identified with the particular story or representation that you're using in that moment to effectively communicate. Mm -hmm. And you see, see, when it comes to transformation at the level of culture, where cultures represent ideas completely differently, you can see how this skill of being able to tap into the essential idea and find alignment and find common ground is essential. Like, for example, right now, I'm involved in promoting the idea of freedom lovers from the left side of the political spectrum and the center of the political spectrum and the right side of the political spectrum to come together in goodwill and to communicate with each other and to realize that at the essential level, they have incredible alignment. They have incredible commonality of values in terms of valuing freedom, the sovereignty of the individual, meritocracy, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, that we have so much in common. But if I didn't have a way to go deeper than how the left shows up and how the right shows up and to find out, okay, what do they have in common? I don't think I could be very effective at fostering transformation at the cultural level. Until I take responsibility for my own biases, my own political views, my own ways of representing things, I can't transcend them and go to a deeper place. 
So what I'm getting from this is this a, this is a second skill set, way of being, type of mastery that is essential in embodying and moving forward transformation at the level of culture. Absolutely. And I know that I don't know. There's probably 30 other skill sets that will be needed that I don't know what they are yet. But it's okay, because I know that I don't know them, and I'm looking forward to discovering them. Which would not, is not on the ego map at all. The ego map doesn't go there. It doesn't allow for it. It's threatened by it. Not knowing is not in that ballpark. Yeah. You know, the, the willingness and ability to know you don't know something and be okay with that and be okay with yourself while you know you don't know it, that commitment is critical to any level of, of the transformation is, is at any level you're committed to expressing transformation, that willingness and ability will, will, will hold you in good stead. It's just that as you increase the dynamics from individual to relationship to group and organization to culture and beyond, you come up against more and more forces that are at play in that domain. And so there's a whole new set of wisdom to develop. There's a whole new skill set to develop. So you are, thank you. So you are inviting, have invited people such as myself and anybody else who's listening to this to have more powerful conversations like this. So you have other people to help implant transformation at the level of culture with so in other words there's no way that one put it this way the day of the lone ranger hero is over it's not possible it's, it's, you know it's not, it, it, not going to happen that way it's the way the game is set up is not going to happen that there's 8 million followers and one leader. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen that way. So part of transformation is learning how we need to be as leaders so that we don't develop followers, but we develop leaders who develop leaders who develop leaders. Now, there's been an interesting experiment that I think has mostly failed over the last 65 years, called network marketing. There's been this experiment for leaders to develop leaders who develop leaders who develop leaders. And I say that 99.9% of the time that experiment fails. Mm -hmm. And maybe you end up with three or four leaders who studied directly with the original leader, but then something got lost after that and then it got watered down and then it got adulterated and even though you had very well-meaning people 100% committed they didn't have the technology of transformation they didn't have the technology of transformation (laughs) so imagine imagine an empowering structure like the best of network marketing 
combined with really committed people, with heart, with the understanding we have now about how the body works and how the mind works, with our understanding of physiology and our understanding of psychology and neurology, and imagine combining that with our understanding of ontology and transformation. Now you have the possibility for something to go viral that is of a different animal than has ever gone viral before. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all about stealing the gold, you know. So there's gold in the network marketing hills Mm -hmm. that I am stealing. And there's gold in the in the natural healthcare world that I'm stealing. And there's realm and there's, there's gold in the psychology world that I'm stealing. And there's gold in the neurology world that I'm stealing. And there's gold in the futurist engineering realm of new inventions and new ways of organizing organizations and new ways of farming that I'm stealing. But it's never going to flourish in an ego-based water that people are swimming in that they don't know they're swimming in, where they're allowing their power to be parasitically drained by all sorts of manipulative forces that don't have your interests at heart. And that's tough medicine, but so what? That's what's required. So what, the people that you're inviting into this conversation, what do you feel like it's important for them to know? And if you're moved at a deep level by this conversation, that's all you need to know right now. You don't need to have anything else figured out. If you're upset, that's perfect. If you're experiencing confusion, that's perfect. If I seem really paradoxical to you, that's perfect. (laughs) If you're afraid you're going to lose your marriage, that's perfect. (laughs) If you're afraid you might have to quit your job, That's perfect. If you're afraid to talk to anybody about what you're feeling right now, that's perfect. You don't need to be any other way than you're being right now. Except maybe be aware of how you're being right now. And make it okay with you how you're being right now, even if how you're being is that it's not okay. Make it okay with you that it's not okay with you. In other words, transformation has space for you to be experiencing whatever you're experiencing and to be in whatever circumstances you are. Transformation isn't about changing you into a better version of you that later on will be just another story. That's not what transformation is about. Transformation is about shifting your relationship to all stories, to all experiences, to all circumstances, to all history, to all time, to all space. So what I want to say is, is that 
if you smell the truth here and you're excited, that's enough for now. That's enough for now. Just be with that. See where that takes you. Let yourself be moved. Don't cast pearls before swine unless you want to be lonely and broke. I invite you to be in communication with me and or Maureen. There are people and beings that have gone before us. There are beings and people that will go after you. Where you are is perfect. It's not an accident that you're hearing this or viewing this. There's great love for you here exactly as you are, how you are, the way you are. Transformation isn't what you think it is. You're not who you think you are because who you really are is unthinkable. And the last thing I want to say, and then you can say whatever you want to say and then I'll close it out, is that I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart If you've made it this far in the interview, there's something extraordinary going on with you. You're an extraordinary being if you made it to the end of this interview. (laughs) Because this interview won't make you richer. It won't make you sexier. It won't make you more popular. It won't give you more orgasms. There's nothing in this interview to hook you at the level of ego-based consciousness. So there must be something else moving in you if you made it to the end of this interview. And whatever that is that's moving in you, that's what I want to acknowledge in you, that that is much closer to who you really are than any thought you could think. And that that's the you that I'm speaking to. That's the you that I love. That's the you that I'm acknowledging. That's the you that I'm honoring. That's the you that is infinite. That's the you that's eternal. That's the you that's been hijacked. That's the you that's been suffocated. That's the you that's been genetically toyed with. It's time to say no. It's time to say enough. It's time to lovingly say no. So you can lovingly say yes to who you really are and your highest destiny for this incarnation. So I'm really, really grateful to you, the viewer and listener, for making it this far and 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 unspeakable gratitude to my friend and student, Maureen, because Maureen knows that the way that I teach, I don't teach in a vacuum. I don't teach to, uh, to an empty room. My teaching is brought forth through sincere desire of the student. And... So you are making an enormous contribution. And I'm very, very grateful. 
And um, what I want to say is thank you for challenging me to be in. Actually, you didn't challenge me. You invited me, and I was already wanting to go there. So thank you for inviting me into this space. It is only because of working with you that I am able to even have this conversation to be this space. And there's lots of questions that I wrote down that we didn't even get to in this interview. So I sense that there will be more installments coming. <laughs> Thank you. And I really appreciate, again, anybody who um, does listen to this interview and gets to the end. There's a lot here. And I've lived, and I've lived on both sides. And it's way better in this end of the pool and it's not easy to get here and it's totally worth it and for anybody who has the desire to reach out to me my name is maureen xavier m-a-u-r-i-n-e x-a-v-i-e-r my email address is my name maureen xavier at gmail.com and my cell phone number is 650 2804378. I am complete and I would turn it over to you. Dr. Thank you, Maureen. For people that want to reach me, there's different ways to do it. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. My email address is david.kamnitzer at gmail.com. David.kam is in Mary and is in Nancy. IT. Z-E-R at gmail.com. My YouTube channel is just my name, David Kamnitzer. My podcast is called Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher. Or better yet, you can go directly to our website and read the show notes as well and see all of the episodes and listen to all of the episodes. You just go to www.cuttingedgedoc.com that's Cutting Edge and then D-O-C, CuttingEdgeDOC.com. If you click on Episodes, you'll see all of our episodes in reverse chronological order with the title of the episode, the person being interviewed. The title of the episode is an active link. If you click on it, it takes you to a dedicated show notes page where you can click on the arrow and actually play the episode. Or there's also a download link also from the episodes list if you want to actually download it to your smartphone or to your computer. So ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening or watching another episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. Today has been a Turn the Tables episode where I've been interviewed again by my friend and my student, Maureen Xavier. This particular episode is built on prior episodes, especially the episode called What is Transformation? I strongly suggest if you've landed on this episode, you will get much, much more value out of it if you first go to the episode called What is Transformation? And give that at least a couple of listenings, and then come back to this one, which is specifically about the implications and app potential applications of transformation at the level of culture. So with that, we'll close 
with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.